WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Hi, my name is Maddie Dowling. I'm here as a host of one of the episodes of The Sci-Files, and today I'm here with Daniel Puentes to interview him about his research. So hi Daniel, thank you so much for being here, and please tell me a little bit about yourself and your work. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So. It's great to be on the other side now to be an interviewee. My name is Daniel. I work at the facility for rare isotope beams, which is also long for FRIB here at Michigan State University, where I do research on high-precision mass measurements of rare and exotic atoms that only get produced here at Michigan State University. That sounds like really cool work, Daniel. You First, you got my attention with the rare and exotic atoms. So could you give us some examples of what those are? Sure. So some of the properties that can make something rare or exotic when it comes to nuclear physics include whether or not it's emitting electrons or gamma rays, if it is decaying away, if it's unstable. So the specific nucleus that I focused on was silicon-24, where the nucleus, which is the center of an atom, has 14 protons and 10 neutrons. So I looked at a pretty exotic form of silicon, and I did a high-precision mass measurement of it down to the parts per billion level. So one of the things that caught my attention is that you mentioned that you're at the FRIB, like Dimitri said as well, and that's something that MSU is very famous for, but I've actually never really heard too much about it or known too much about it, so I'd love to hear, as someone who works in there, like what exactly it is you do in there, and to hear a little bit more about your experiences with the FRIB. Sure. So it, you call it the FRIB. We call it FRIB because the RIB acronym itself is short for rare isotope beams. For example, over in Riken, Japan, they have a RIB-F, a rare isotope beam factory. And what we're in the name of the game here is we're essentially an isotope factory. An isotope is just a specific element, but you change the number of neutrons inside of the nucleus. And by producing these different isotopes, we can answer questions about things like how were the elements created? Why is there more matter versus antimatter in the universe? My research focused specifically on element creation in stellar environments in space. So you mentioned silicon 24. Why are you particularly interested in silicon 24? So silicon-24 is one of a few isotopes that have been known to impact the shape of what's known as a light curve. It is an amount of light that is produced in an astrophysical environment where you have a neutron star and a star like our sun in a binary system together. Believe it or not, a lot of stars don't exist by themselves like our sun. They actually can exist with in orbit with another star. And when you have a neutron star orbiting a star like our sun, the neutron star's gravity is so strong that it'll pull material from the sun-like star and put it onto the neutron star's surface. After a certain amount of time, an explosion occurs where an X-ray burst is emitted. So an X-ray is just another form of light. And the shape of how much light is produced as a function of time will be dependent on silicon 24's mass. So by constraining that mass, we can constrain the shape of that light curve for these astrophysical explosions that take place in deep space. 
Thank you so much for explaining that in such an easy way to understand. I've never really understood astrophysics con concepts too well, so that was really great. Thank you, Daniel, for coming and speaking and about your research, and I'm excited to hopefully learn more at some point. And next, we'd like to interview Chelsea Boudou about her research. And Chelsea, please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hey, Madi and Dimitri. Thank you so much for having us. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell our listeners about our research. So I am getting my PhD in biosystems and agricultural engineering, where I study how to detect bacteria and viruses. For example, in pigs, to know if they have a specific virus called African swine fever virus, or to know if your food is contaminated with bacteria so that people don't get sick when they eat their food. Well, so forgive me if I misunderstood a little bit, but you said that you're looking at how, you know, these pathogens affect agriculture, right? So are you infecting like the plants that you're looking at with these, you know, pathogens or, you know, how are you making that connection between swine fever and area of agriculture that you're interested in? So my degree is just a fancy name, honestly. Biosystems and agricultural engineering, it's a mouthful that as soon as I tell someone that they're just like bio what? So yes, it's agriculture because there's pigs involved and there's food involved, right? But in general, the point of it is to tell you if something is infected or not. With your question, am I infecting the plants? Technically, I'm not working with plants, but we could with this technology. But your question about are we infecting them, we do with the food actually. So I'll explain the food because the food and the pigs are two different experiments. With the food, imagine I have some lettuce or spinach. Anything in general that you eat has something called a natural microflora. There is some sort of bacteria or fungi or something in everything you're eating. And that's okay. You don't have to freak out. You're eating it already. But we want to know if it gets out of control, what happens then? Like, how do we detect it? Because normally, in general, whenever you're trying to find out if a food is infected with something, it takes like two to three days to have a positive confirmation because you have to grow it on an agar dish. It's bacteria, so you have to wait for it to grow. We don't have that long sometimes. So with my work, we are artificially contaminating, in this example, the spinach or the lettuce, and then seeing if our experiments work in order to detect it, and it does work. We're able to actually concentrate it. We use magnetic nanoparticles to concentrate and separate that bacteria from the food matrix because your food has a lot of stuff in it. You're not trying to detect is it spinach or is it lettuce. You're just trying to detect is it contaminated with a specific bacteria. And we can actually find that we are able to detect it using gold nanoparticles, which are different. This magnetic and gold nanoparticle technology is applicable even for the pig stuff that I'm telling you about as well. So it's in general that we do this in our lab, where we use the magnetic nanoparticles to separate whatever pathogen, African swine fever virus or bacteria from the food, and it's concentrated so it's easier to detect it with the gold nanoparticles. So yeah, so how were you using these nanoparticles to evaluate an infection? So like I said, the magnetic nanoparticles are meant to separate and concentrate the pathogen. So if you are trying to detect anything, you're not getting a pure sample that just has only that bacteria or virus or whatever. If it's, for example, an animal, you need to get like blood or saliva or fecal matter, etc. It's not perfect in just that virus. So it's a lot easier whatever diagnostic tool you're using after if you just have that pathogen. So that's the magnetic nanoparticles. With the gold nanoparticles, it's really easy and cheap. So it's so cheap that we even use it in other countries outside of America. 
we use these gold nanoparticles to tell us is it positive or is it negative and we do that with colors so you may think that this is gold like the color gold which is a very rational thing to think but it's actually pink because it's nanoparticles so since it's nano it's actually like that pink red color because it's so small and if it's negative it'll turn gray so this is really cool because it tells you in like five minutes or less if it's actually positive or negative with the gold nanoparticles thank you for the clear explanation on gold nanoparticles and magnetic nanoparticles but could you connect it to how you're detecting it in pigs yeah so some people out there may be like african swine fever virus i've never heard of it and if you're in america i'm pretty sure you haven't because it's not in america so a few months ago in december i had to go to the philippines to conduct this research which is why the, the sci files hasn't had many episodes because i was in the philippines so it is in the Philippines, and I had blood and saliva samples where I treated them with the magnetic nanoparticles because, for example, blood, whenever it needs to be transported or even stored, it's stored with this chemical called EDTA to stop it from clotting and not being, like, all clumpy. But that EDTA is not good for things like PCR. It can actually inhibit the result, and you can get a the result that tells you that it's negative, but it's actually positive. So the magnetic nanoparticles helped separate it out of that. And then I used the gold nanoparticles to tell me, did that pig have African swine fever virus or not? And I compared it to my PCR results as well. Thank you so much for giving us a little bit more insight into your research. As we wrap up, I just want to say, you know, Chelsea and Daniel, thank you so much for setting up the sci-files and giving us students opportunities to speak about our research. I just want to thank you guys both for giving the students this opportunity to share and showcase their research. I know personally, I'm really grateful for the opportunity. I think that a lot of students really benefited from having the opportunity to participate in these interviews because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are doing the work. They're the ones that are getting the results that their advisors fund them to get. It's not fair that professors are usually the ones that are interviewed, so we want to make it an equal playing field and give students the opportunity as well to share their expertise too with the rest of the world. I'm also especially happy that you, Madi, and Dimitri will be here to take over the sci-files. This is something that Daniel and I started back in 2019, and since then we've interviewed over 200 students, and many of them have graduated and told us how the, their interviews with the sci-files really did help them get a job. And it makes me feel happy knowing that we positively impacted people, and I look forward to seeing how you both will be impacting people in the future and making friends and connecting with the community and working with Impact 89, which is a wonderful family to work with. So thank you to all of our listeners for listening to us all these years and supporting us. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.